0: making a turn today as a congregation. We've been talking about the Gospel of John for quite a while, and we're not through it. But we're going to make a turn, and we're going to start looking at the book of Acts. And we are going to spend the rest of this month and next month and all summer long looking at the book of Acts. Why? Because that's the first church. And it's important that we as a Christian church today don't try to reinvent ourselves into something that was never what God intended. We need to make sure that we're clear about being the kind of church and being the church that God created the Christian church on earth to become. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited because we're going to get to look at who we are. You're going to have a better understanding of why we are, why we make the decisions that we do, uh, who it is that that we're going to be as we go forward, why we're structured the way we are, why, why we do things that may be Unusual or different than what you've seen in the past. And what we're going to do is show you that we as a congregation for seven and a half years have tried to model ourselves after this church in Acts. And as we go forward, we're going to continue to do more of the same and we're not going to stray. The title that we've given this series is Why Church? Getting Back to God's Normal. Why do we say Why Church? Well, because people ask the question, Why should I go to church? What's the big deal? Why should I bother? Well, let me tell you this. God gave us the church. We don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. We are the church because God gave us the gift of the Christian church here on earth. The open-door Christian church, like many, many other churches around us, strives to do our very best to be the best example that we can be of living out today for the people around us of what that church in Acts was like. We know we're not going to do it perfectly, but with God's help, we're going to do it to the very best of our ability. This church that we're going to look at, it's the first church. It's the church that was launched by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It was the church that was led and the teaching was done by the original disciples. So I want to start out in Acts 2, the end of the Acts 2, <coughs> and read a little bit for you as an introduction as to where we're going and and give you an understanding of why now Peter, the disciple, has just given this great sermon. And the response was absolutely phenomenal to it. Verse 37, When they heard this, this is all the people that had heard it, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? It's really the question of now that we go to church, what do I do next? How do I live out in the world? What do I learn? Where do I go? How do I become this new person? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That answer has not changed in 2,000 years. Repent and be baptized. It's why Jesus wants us to remember Him in the Lord's Supper in Holy Communion. Because it's because of Him that our sins are forgiven. "...for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself." That includes you and I today. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, "...save yourselves from this crooked generation." We could say that about our world today. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls." We're going to get to that again later and understand what happened with those folks. Where, where did they go? What did they do? What we need to realize is that what happened there 2,000 years ago was the model, and I wholeheartedly believe it's what God wants to continue doing in the church today. I don't believe that was an example for 2,000 years ago that will never be repeated. I believe that what that is is the example that God wants us to see and to know and to become ourselves. And so we're going to study it. We're going to understand it. We're going to figure out how we can be that church, how we can be those kinds of Christians. But before we do, I think we need to have a little bit of an understanding of what the church is and a little bit of what the church is not. And there's some misunderstandings that have happened through time, and you may have gotten close to this one, and you'll understand what I'm talking about here. There's a passage in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking to Peter, the same one that just made this sermon public and and all the people were saved. He's talking to Peter. He says some words that people have confused and misunderstood and misconstrued and they've even been the result of uh, some pretty serious spiritual abuse in our world. But we need to understand as a foundation what Jesus really said. Matthew 16 verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a pretty powerful statement. Jesus means every word that He says. Unfortunately, through history, we have greatly misunderstood what He's actually saying. So we can go back to the original language, the the original Greek that the New Testament is written in, and we can understand it much better. We need to know what Jesus really said, not what it is that we've turned it into or we want to have it say. We've got to be clear. When Jesus says, Rock, He's actually having a bit of a play on words because the name Peter in Greek means rock. And so Jesus is having some fun because at one point He uses the word Petros and on the other word He uses the word Petra. Both of them mean rock in simple translation, but they have a very, very, very different meaning and it's important for us that we understand. The word for Peter is Petros. The word that Jesus uses next, rock, is Petra. Very different in the understanding of the people who spoke that language. Sounds like the same word, it's only the same root. Petros means pebble or stone. Petra means rock, boulder, bedrock. Very different things. And as I read it, I think what's helpful is having an understanding of where might Jesus have been pointing as He was saying this. So let's just try it for a moment, and for the lack of any better example, I'm going to have to play the part of Jesus. I do not think I'm Jesus, so please don't go there. Imagine Jesus saying, and I tell you, Peter, he'd be pointing at him, right? I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, where does he point next? There's three places that he could point. On this rock, I will build my church. Well, one of them, he can point at Peter. One of them, he could point at the ground on this rock. I will build my church. There's a third option. It's largely gotten ignored in the history of Christianity in some circles there's a third option where might Jesus have been pointing? You are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. As he points to himself. You Peter are a pebble. That's what people Peter would have heard. And on this rock, this bedrock, this boulder, I will build my church. The other thing that's interesting about a Petra, the bedrock, is that it's understood as a grouping of connected stones. Truly bedrock. Not just one, not a pebble. But an entire area, a mass of stones that are collected all as one. Where Jesus pointed means all the difference in the world. What Jesus is really saying is that He is the rock. When we understand Peter as anything but a pebble, as anything but a person, as anything but one man who happens to be near Jesus, when we put him in the place of being the best or the most important, it's putting words into Jesus' mouth that Jesus never spoke and that Jesus never intended. Peter was never called to be the foundation of the Christian church. Peter was one pebble that was a part of the larger church. The foundation, of course, is Jesus. That foundation belongs to no human being, especially Peter or you or I. Jesus alone is the foundation of God's church on earth. Any understanding of that is simply wrong. And if that's too strong and you're not sure where I'm making my case, I want to share 1 Corinthians 3.11 that says this. For no one, and this includes Peter, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. The foundation of the church is not you or I or what we believe or our take on Scripture or the fact that we're a non-denominational church and we think we're better because we don't because we know we're not better than some other church. We're just all trying to do the same thing. Every Christian church out there, we're trying to understand how to be the church. And it's important that we're clear on that. We don't want a different take or understanding on things. And and to do that, it doesn't make us better. What it makes us is ignorant. What we want is to read the Bible for what it really says. And there's one other word. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. We've got to understand the word church because that's the other thing that we're talking about. When Jesus told Peter, Upon this rock I will build My church, the word that He used was ecclesia. Ecclesia means body of believers. Church is never meant to be one person. It's never meant to be an individual. You you can never say, I am the church. You're not. The church is a gathering of believers. We are all but one pebble in a much greater gathering of pebbles that all are laid on the foundation that is Jesus. Jesus. The Ecclesia is not one person. It is a living body made up of the disciples of Jesus. People who share a common belief and faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. That faith is what connects us. That is the Petra. That is the rock. It is Jesus that draws us all together. It isn't the fact that we call ourselves a non-denominational church and another church calls it something else and another one calls them something else. That makes us different. It doesn't make any of us better. We're all Christians that claim the same foundation, the same bedrock. And that bedrock is Jesus Christ. Going on, verse 42. Those early disciples, those early gatherings of people in this ecclesia devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? We quickly jump to them, the truth that held them together. What was it? First of all, these first disciples were the ones that actually had lived with Jesus. They're sharing the truths that Jesus had shared with them. These men and women had actually lived life with Him. Jesus had taught and explained to them the things that they were in turn now teaching and explaining to others. And what was the hope? Well, hope was that they would prepare themselves and each other to live in a world that didn't understand what they believed but there's another word there it starts at the beginning of that verse they devoted what does devoted mean in the original understanding in greek it would be commitment devoted was that they persevered is that they strived on is that they endured that they persisted that they didn't quit they were committed not just to each other not just to this foundation that was jesus but to each other as they stood on it together and that early church never let go of that those Early believers, they didn't have the whole Bible that we have. They had the scrolls of the Old Testament and they had the men and the women who had spent time with Jesus and they were learning from them. What was one of the things they were learning? Well, I'm sure that they were called often. One of the last things that Jesus said, we understand it as the Great Commission, it's in Matthew 28. As they're committed to the teachings of Jesus, this is one of the ones that they got right. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, "...Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know how I know that they got that one right? You know how I know that they taught it correctly, they understood it correctly, and they lived it correctly? Do you know how I know that? Because we're here right now. If they hadn't listened to Jesus, and if they hadn't made following Him their top priority... We would likely not be here. Instead, we are their spiritual children and they are our discipleship ancestors. They took that command seriously to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach them to live like Jesus taught us to live. They took that seriously. And so should we. One of the things that we as a congregation are going to do is to recognize that message hasn't changed in 2,000 years in any church that comes up with a great commission too is getting out ahead of Jesus and they ought best not do that. So one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to make a renewed effort to become disciples of Jesus. We're going to get a clear understanding of what it is to be the body of Christ together. And our purpose as we move forward is going to continue to be the same thing that it's always been. But we're going to focus on that great commission of making disciples and growing new believers and baptizing them in the name of our Savior. Making disciples isn't always an easy thing, but it's what that early church got right. And if we're going to be like the church in Acts, we've got to make sure we focus on that. Next thing they did was they talked about fellowship. They focused on fellowship. It's a lot different than the kind of fellowship we see in the rest of our world. The fellowship that drew them together was their spiritual connectedness. It was Jesus. When they got together, they talked about Jesus. They talked about who'd been around him. They talked about what had He done? What did they remember? Who was there when? Can you imagine being a part of those conversations? The fellowship was so different than what we maybe understand in our world. There's a lot of organizations out there that that build on fellowship. Good ones. One of the ones that comes to mind, I've, I've never been a part of it, but I know folks that have, like the Kiwanis or the Lions Club. They do good things. They take care of people and they take care of folks that don't even belong. They make a difference in the communities that they're a part of. But you know, the Christian church is called to be something very different than that. We're called to be bound together by that spiritual truth that Jesus is the one that we follow. First and foremost, we are to share that common belief in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, as our personal Savior. What did they do? The Bible says that they dedicated themselves, devoted themselves to breaking of bread. That just isn't having dinner, it's sharing in Holy Communion. But what it tells us is that they spent time together outside of Sunday morning. That means that they liked each other and they enjoyed the opportunity that they had to go through life together. It says that they also devoted themselves to prayers. Prayer is one of the utmost high priorities in the life of a healthy church. It's why we have a prayer ministry here after every service. It's why we're going to invite you forward after this service to learn a little bit more, to add one more piece to your understanding of prayer, to maybe ask a question about something you've always wondered, or maybe to just come forward and let the prayer ministry pray for you. Why is it important? Because it's part of what got us here after 2,000 years. If we're not people of prayer, we're not being the church of God. Prayer was and is the foundation of communication that we have with our Father who is in heaven and with Jesus our Savior. So what's the result of all that? These folks do these things. It sounds so simple. We say, well, I do all that stuff. We do it. Yeah, we, we got it. Well, what happened? Verse 43 an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love this verse. I love it because we should be in awe of what God is doing in us, and through us, and around us. And if you're not in awe of what God is doing around here, I would encourage you to spend a little more time with the people of this place. Because I'm in awe every single day of what God is doing here. I'm in awe as I stand in worship and listen to these talented people who can sing and play and as I listen to you sing and worship God. I'm in awe. I'm in awe when I see you folks come out and volunteer your time and share your gifts in taking what was a bit of a rundown but a beautiful camp and bring it back to a vital and vital outpost of the Kingdom of God in this area. It's incredible to see what has been done by folks who just simply stepped forward and said that they'd help. I'm in awe when I see and hear testimonies of our prayers, of the healings, of the transformations, of the lives that have been restored, of the marriages that have been healed. Uh, we, We did a healing Sunday a while ago and there was incredible testimonies that came from it. So much so that we're doing another one this month. And what's going to happen is we're going to be in awe of what God does around us. How do I know that? Because God says, if you'll just ask, I will show up. And if you don't come to church expecting to be awed by God, you're going to miss it completely and you won't see any of it. Verse 44, "...and all who believed were together and, all, and had all things in common." What this means, they are of one mind. They were of one purpose. It didn't mean they agreed necessarily with each other on everything. It means that they all worked toward the same goal. The common bond and belief of Jesus Christ, the one who had been recently crucified, who had been recently raised from the dead, and who had ascended to heaven. They agreed that they were going to follow Him. They might not have agreed with everything that each other said, but they agreed on their purpose. They agreed on what was most important, on Jesus and becoming His disciples. And we as a congregation need to agree on the very same thing. We need to agree that Jesus is most important. And whether we agree with each other on the details doesn't matter nearly as much as we agree to be growing as disciples. Verse 45, when they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What's really going on there? doesn't say they sold everything. doesn't say they just kind of went crazy, got rid of everything and, and took care of everybody around them. What it says is they were really good stewards of what they had that they were gathering people that literally had nothing because in that world there were some folks that had been completely ignored and nobody took care of them. There was no government program. There was no outside agency. There was nobody, but suddenly there was the Christian church. And those folks that came into the gathering of believers, the ecclesia, they brought nothing with them but their belief in Jesus. And so the folks that had sold off bits and pieces and gave generously and sacrificially to see that everyone was taken care of. And anyone that had a need, not necessarily wants, but anyone that had a need had it taken care of. And they were good stewards of the finances and the resources that God had entrusted to them. Now we got something new that we're going to start today, and it begins here in the message on your way out, we're going to offer you one of these cards. Simple business card. On the front it says Acts two forty six to 47 On the back it gives you those two verses. Why would we do that? Because part of being a disciple of Jesus is beginning to know His Word. Part of it is beginning to memorize bits and pieces of what is in there that is important for us to know. This is going to be our first one. We're going to do a different card with a different verse or two every other week. And So make sure on your way out you grab one of those. It's going to happen here. I'm going to share this verse with you over a couple of sections. It begins like this: "And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and uh, generous hearts." That ecclesia spent time together, often. They weren't a Sunday morning church only. Church to them was a gathering of people that spent their time and did life together. They lived life as a group of believers. They gathered, they worshipped, they remembered Jesus in the Lord's Supper. They met in each other's homes for the purpose of growing in their faith and growing as a disciples, encouraging each other. They didn't meet in church on Sunday morning and say, I'll see you next week. They met in church on Sunday morning and they continued to do so all week long. And you're thinking, that sounds overwhelming. I can't do that. Christians are some of the coolest people you're ever going to meet. And if you want to grow as a disciple, the only way that you can do it, remember is with other people who are growing as disciples. If we understand each one of ourselves as little more than a pebble, suddenly that ground of bedrock begins to make a lot more sense. That bedrock is Jesus and the shared belief that we have with others. One of the things that we're going to commit to as a congregation is starting this fall, and you're going to hear more from Jeff on this, starting this fall we're going to start launching what we're calling life groups. We're going to give you different opportunities at different days and times and in different places throughout the week. And we're going to invite you to become a part of this. It's a a mid-sized group of people. Think 25 folks that meet in people's houses. Guess where that idea came from? That pray together, learn a little bit, do something good in the community. In general, live life together. We're going to take the words of Acts so seriously that we're actually going to act on them. We're going to give you a way to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus because that is what God wants from us. And so we're going to come to church together, but then we're also going to meet in each other's homes and we're going to be glad and grateful for it. We are going to live out the book of Acts right here. And what do they do? It says they praise God and had favor with all the people. You know I had favor with all the people? they were obedient to God. They were consistent with what they said and with what they did. And they gave God the credit for it. It wasn't about them and they knew that. The credit for everything that happened went to God. The awe that they experienced, they were not in awe of themselves. They weren't in awe of a building. They weren't in awe of a beautiful piece of land on a lake. They were in awe of the God that was making it all happen. They were in awe and they had favor with the people. They realized that this new thing they were were a part of, this ecclesia, was something that they were able to be a part of. Not that they had to. It was about what God was doing among them and it's about what God is doing now today here among us. See, God's work didn't complete here on earth with Jesus. Jesus did His part. But what we see, the transition that we see in the book of Acts is that God goes from moving from His Son Jesus at work here on earth to moving through ordinary men and women, ordinary young people who choose to believe and follow Jesus. Now the work lands on you and I. And we go back to Acts. What happens when the people understood that? What happens when we understand that? The Bible says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love this verse. Is it my desire to have a huge church? Nope, that's God's deal. That's not up to me or you or anybody else. We said five years ago that preaching around here really had a singular purpose. Preaching was for salvation. If we're going to ask you to listen to a message, it's going to be about telling you how it is that you can take the steps to knowing that your eternity is secured in Jesus Christ. Not about you or what you did or who you are, but about who Jesus is and what He did for you that you and I cannot do for ourselves. This, word, this passage is encouraging to me. See, the people understood and appreciated what God had given them in this gathering, in this ecclesia, the thing we call church now. So they took good care of each other and they took good care of it. They cared for the church and they cared for each other and the gift that God had entrusted to them. They cared about the resources that they had been given. They cared about the people who they were meeting, some of whom had absolutely nothing. And if we're willing to model this first gathering, this ecclesia, if we're willing to be obedient, if we're willing to do sometimes what will feel like the difficult things, if we're willing to keep God as our focus and Jesus as our center, God will show up and we will be in awe. It won't be easy. It may not be what we've always known church to be, but if we persevere like they did, God will bless us with His presence, with an awe and wonder of what He is doing in this place and He will bless us with new people to love and to guide and to disciple and to what it is to becoming a follower of Jesus. When we gather and pray, God will show up and things are going to happen. One of the things that keeps me so in awe is that when we trust God in His Word that says, you know, you bring it to me in prayer and ask and I'll show up and do something. Man, we have got amazing stories of people who were healed, lives that were changed, situations that turned completely around. Not because we're great people or great prayers, but because we serve a God who leaves us in awe. So we will persevere. And here's the thing, that the Ecclesia doesn't happen on its own. It needs people. Just like a, just like a disciple needs a discipler, a church needs people. God's plan is that we're in this together this gathering of the body of believers, not a bunch of in- disconnected individuals, not pebbles that stand on their own, but as a gathering of believers who are united in mind and purpose. On our own, that's about what we are. We're little pebbles, just like Peter. One of the things that we know is that the Christian church is made up of pebbles that we know to be sinners, and that's you and I. But when we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Bible doesn't call us sinners anymore. The Bible calls us saints. Because in the eyes of God, we've been transformed, we've been redeemed. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we're changed. It means that we're transformed. We literally go from being a sinner to being a saint. And the church is made up of saints, all of whom were sinners. Here's the interesting thing as I started looking at this th- this week. I started looking at the word saint. What does the Bible really say about it? I found something really interesting. The New Testament uses the word saints 60 times as it talks about the Ecclesia. 60 times the New Testament talks about the gathering of believers and refers to them as saints. Do you know how many times the New Testament of the Bible refers to a saint? A standalone pebble? One person being the church? Do you know how many times? Zero. There's one example in the the King James Version and it's uh, it's misinterpreted. The Bible isn't made up of a, the church isn't made up of a saint. It's made up of a group of believers who become the body of Christ. Saints who together form the church. No one single individual is a church unto themselves. The New Testament sees us as a gathering of saints. I'm hoping that you look forward to this journey with me of learning to be the church that God called us to be. In America, we've turned the church into something very, very different. And somehow or another, a lot of times and in a lot of places, we become the focus. What we want. How we want to do it. What we think should get done. It has no place in the church that God handed to us. There's no place in the church that these first disciples carried forward and who we are the spiritual children of. Our focus then will become on becoming disciples of Jesus not just the tenders of a church. We'll pray, we'll love, and we'll care for each other. And we're going to encourage you to be the church seven days a week, not just on Sunday morning. We want to be the church that leaves this building and goes out into that world and makes a difference for the kingdom of God. As we move forward, Pastor Rich and Jeff are going to help me with the teaching. And what we hope is that we can help you understand what we can learn and how we can grow to be the most faithful church we can be from the model of that first church of Acts. Jeff is going to help us understand how it is that they gathered. What it is that they did. What was their intention and and their focus? And Pastor Rich is a part of our community now because he's going to help us care for each other. He's not going to do all the work. Are you going to do all the work, Pastor Rich? No, he's not going to do all the work. Because you know what? That would be the wrong way to do it because he isn't the church on his own. We are the church. And he's going to help us understand how to be the church. We're going to care for each other, we're going to pray for each other, and we're going to do life together. There's nothing more exciting than being the church together as we get back to God's normal and we see what the Christian church on earth can really be. We'll learn about the importance of gathering and growing more often than just in Sunday morning worship. Is this new and different for us? No, it's where we started seven and a half years ago. We started with this passage and we said, we're going to build a church and try to be just like this. Knowing that every other church wants to do the same thing. And did we think we could do it better? No. Nope. We try to do it the way that God has called us to do it. And what we want to help you understand is how significant prayer and care are the health of the body of Christ. How important it is that we don't just go to church, but that we learn and become a disciple of Jesus. We're going to be stretched as individuals and as a congregation. We're going to grow, and we as pebbles and saints and disciples as well as our church, we're going to be so much better for it. You in your walk with Jesus will be changed for the good. And the really cool thing is that just like what the Bible talks about, we're going to do it together. I'm not going to do it. Pastor Rich isn't going to do it. Jeff's not going to do it. We're going to do it together and we're going to invite all of you to be a part of it. And with God's help, what we're going to be able to do is to become the church that God has called us to be. See, here's the deal. i got news for you. God doesn't make a piece of land like what God has brought us to, like this available, without expecting something from us. It doesn't mean that we're special. But it means that God has a call on us just like God has a call on every Christian church that's ever opened their doors. And one of the things that I know, one of the things that I'm certain about is that we will never realize the fullness of the call that God has put on the life of this congregation and on you and I as members of it if we don't get back to God's normal. And so we're going to spend some time understanding what that is and we're going to spend a lot of energy trying to do it ourselves. To get back to being the kind of Christians, the kind of disciples, the kind of believers that do life together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us all of these people in the Bible, some of whom did things so well and some of whom just didn't do things well at all, all of whom are examples for us for how to live and how not to live. And God, your great commission hasn't changed. Jesus' command to us to go out and to make disciples and To baptize them and to make them disciples of You means we have to be disciples ourselves. That call hasn't changed. So God, we ask You now that You would, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, work in us and with us and through us to be the church that You created us to be, to be the kinds of Christians that You created us to be. Not better, not even different, but just to be what You called us and created us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last thing I want to say to you is this. As you walk out the door today, one of the things I hope that we can start thinking about is this, that this is our training ground. Outside those doors are our mission field. Right here is where we learn to be disciples. Out there is where we get to go and start making disciples. As you leave here, don't leave church behind. As you leave here, take the church with you.